and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 6, Episode 19, Seeing Red. It probably goes without saying, but just in case you're one of those listeners who doesn't actually watch Buffy and just listens to us talk about Buffy and hasn't watched this episode and has no idea what goes on in it, massive trigger warnings ahead for discussions of not just misogyny, but also violence against women, murder, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape. I think that covers it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a heavy episode. Uh, We'll let you know as we're going into that scene. And we'll also drop timestamps in the episode description if you want to skip that scene. But yeah, please practice self-care as you listen to this episode. We are going to do our best to cover it as sensitively as we can we know that this is a heavy heavy episode but obviously you know yourself best and you know what you're able to handle don't push yourself too hard this episode is here for you to listen to when you're ready or not and that's okay too and we'll catch you next week so we were just saying before we started recording how we've been anticipating this episode i don't know if anticipating is the right word dreading (laughs) There are certain episodes in the series, (laughs) such as Hush, such as Once More with Feeling, such as The Body, right? There are episodes that are just so notorious for one reason or another that we knew that when we get to them in our podcast, it would be a milestone. And that is the case with Seeing Red. This is a complicated episode to talk about because there are ways in which... It is a good episode. There are things about this episode that are really well done. And some of the parts that are really well done are heavy parts to it. There are also heavy things in this episode that I think are very poorly done, which I I know we're going to get to. Um, And there's a couple of things in this episode that make me incredibly angry, knowing what we know now about Joss Whedon. I think a lot of it I'm going to lay on Joss Whedon's door. Um, but, you know, Marty Noxon, Jane Espenson, like the rest of the writers on Buffy, uh, they also had a role to play here. So, you know, we're, and we're not, I'm not saying we're here to like blame a bunch of people for what's going on. I mean, kind of. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Yeah, yeah. But w- what I'm trying to say, right, is I do think it is important for us to acknowledge that As much as Joss Whedon had the ultimate say in creative control, and I'm sure he had a lot of input into what was going on in this episode, uh, let's not forget that there were other people involved in the decisions that went into this episode. So as we critique it, um, and especially as we're talking about the stuff that we really think doesn't work well, um, I'm all for 
slandering Joss Whedon, but I also think we need to spread that slander around a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to get to the scene, right? The bathroom scene, as it's known. We'll get to that, obviously, in the episode. But I was actually surprised that that scene aside and then the ending aside i didn't mind the episode yeah exactly that's what that's what i meant right is there are things about this episode that are really good yeah and like that i enjoyed or that were funny Mm -hmm. or especially buffy like buffy besides those parts i really liked dawn in this episode i i can't wait until we get into those scenes the women are very lovable and they bring on the joy in a lot of ways in this mm-hmm. in this episode. And we needed it until the end. So, so yeah. So, uh, some positive things to say. A big discussion ahead of us. I just know it. Uh, my heart is very heavy after watching this. But I will add right away that did you see how many coats Buffy has in this episode? <laughs> like, it's a new Honestly, record. <laughs> everybody's fashion in this episode, except maybe Xander's because it's Xander. Like all the women in this episode, I think their their clothing was great. Like I I, I noticed a lot of the outfits, and I'm like, mm, that is a good outfit on you. Yeah, good job. It's time. Let's get into it. We open on Tara and Willow post coitus cuddling in bed. Uh, they made love all night. We can only assume. Uh, we assume also they did not use glowy O's as they are wont to do on the WB uh, because this is the UPN. And they don't, they can't do magic with Willow. So they just had straight up sex. And they're now uh, realizing it's morning. And Willow says, I forgot how good this could feel, us together without the magic. And Tara's like, there was plenty of magic. Willow says it's getting late. She was thinking about Buffy. She's like, she wouldn't talk about what happened at the magic shop last night. All she wanted to know about from Willow was if she could trace the camera signal back to the Empire of the Nerds, is what Willow calls it. And then she left again. And Tara says, I'm sure she'll be okay. Will says she's not really worried about her going up against Warren and the others. Um, She says, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think something might be going on with Spike and Buffy. She looks so hurt when she saw him with Anya. And Tara says, they're sleeping together. And Will laughs. She's like, doesn't believe her. And Tara's like, no, she told me that they're sleeping together. And Will's like, the naked kind together? (laughs) And Tara says she promised Buffy that she wouldn't tell anyone. Willow says, does everybody else know? Am I the only one she didn't tell? And Tara's like, no, no, she didn't even want to tell me. It just kind of came out. So Willow says, how could she hide something this from me? And Tara says, I think she was afraid of the look you'd get on your face, kind of like the one you're wearing now. Willow's like, I'm just trying to understand. So Willow and later Kara um, Xander, they kind of had this case of like, what about me's? (laughs) When it comes to Buffy's situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's Willow sharing that right now, right? Like, she didn't tell me. I'm the last person to know. Me, me, me. Yeah. And my so my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, Willow, making this all about you. But then I thought about it for a little bit. And I'm like, to be perfectly honest with myself, I'm probably more like Willow than I want to admit. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I identify a lot more with Tara during this rewatch. But I I continue to see things in Willow that I see in myself, and I don't like it. I am in this picture, (laughs) and I don't like it. And that's the case here, because I think my reaction would be very similar to Willow's. I think it's good that Willow had such an honest, immediate reaction to Tara. I think it's good that she didn't have this reaction in front of Buffy, because Tara can take it, right? Like... Willow can be like, me, 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 to Tara, 
and then get all the Mies out of her system so that then she's ready to be there for Buffy. Hey, I, I actually agree with you because like, yeah, I'm saying you know, she's kind of making it about herself and taking it personally, um, but that's normal. It's also funny to me because I was like, Willow, you have already practiced this conversation when you thought Buffy was sleeping with Spike in season five and she confronted the Buffy bot. <laughs> and they had that funny conversation um, on the belt. Giles, <laughs> no one's using the I statements. <laughs> So Willow's already had uh, this practice. So Willow says she probably really needs someone to talk to, as in like Buffy. So Willow is ultimately worried about Buffy and wants to make sure she's okay. Tara's like, yeah, probably. We've been kind of busy. Maybe we, sh- we didn't hear her come home. So Willow goes and knocks on Buffy's room door, but it's empty. And Dawn comes out from her room and she's like, Buffy didn't come home. And Willow's like, not yet, but I'm sure she'll be home soon. Just go back to bed. And Dawn's like, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> she's like, you know, <laughs> and, and also thank you. Thank you, Dawn Bon Jovi, for giving us the time. People yes, on this show do not point. give us the time enough, you know? <laughs> Finally, we have the exact time. Can you imagine if Buffy was like 24 and we just knew exactly what time it was all the time we would be healthier people we would be (laughs) mentally clean so so Uh. dawn says you don't think she's gonna she's gonna hurt spike do you and willow's like she told you about spike and (laughs) and dawn is like like (laughs) it was kind of obvious after last night and willow's like oh yeah i totally knew (laughs) you you know willow takes it extra hard when even Dawn knows something before her. So Dawn says, must have hurt so much to see him and Anya like that. And poor Xander. Poor Xander. Uh, sorry, I had a visceral reaction to those two words next to each other. Well, that's why I read it out. Then I just read it out again, but incredulously. Because <laughs> it's like, what? So everything is so screwed up, says Dawn. And Willow says, it's going to be all right. It's just complicated. When people have such strong feelings for each other, sometimes. And then that's when Tara walks out with just a blanket on as if she doesn't all like know that it's 10 a.m. And Dawn is just out there talking to her. And she's like, oh, oh, it's Dawn. Oh, I should go put clothes on. And Dawn excitedly says, no, no, I'm totally not here. You guys do whatever you want. I'll go watch TV downstairs, real loud, in the basement, where I can't hear anything. Oh, my God. And then she runs away squealing and she says i love you guys and it's actually really sweet it's so cute i love how excited donifer is for tara and willow to be back together in this episode just the way that michelle trachtenberg like delivers those lines the the look on her face the the arm gestures the whole like it's so cute that she's like yeah like go down to the basement so so okay tara and willow have been having sex all night on the same floor of this house as Dawn. It's now 10 o'clock in the morning, and they've been busy enough that they couldn't hear Buffy potentially coming in. Do we think there's any chance Dawn didn't hear something? <laughs> well, I mean, some t- I guess if Dawn's asleep, maybe she's a heavy sleeper. She's on the mm, other side okay. of the hallway. M- maybe Tara cast like a soundproofing spell. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Probably not, though. I don't, it doesn't seem like they cared about like their PDA at all when you see later in this episode um but yeah i i think it's pretty unlikely that she didn't hear them but now for sure she's not going to hear them because she's going to go to the basement so where was buffy all night because we're going to cut to her now and she's entering the trio's lair i think she was just slaying i think she just left and she's like i just gotta slay needed to slay it out (laughs) 
So she says, all right, let's make this quick. I'm not leaving until we have a little chat. She's grabbing papers and gathering files and stuff that she finds um, on the uh, tables as she's walking through. And she's like, a very little chat considering the pummeling that needs to occur. I mean, guys, hello, Slayer here. Did you honestly think I wouldn't find you? And then she goes to the whiteboard that surely Kara, Mark, the whiteboard guy, left for her to find. <laughs> well, he sold it to Warren and uh, Jonathan tr- and yeah. Andrew. Although, <laughs> is he still doing that? Because didn't he become mayor? Didn't we decide that? <laughs> well, who knows? He's like in the wind. He's everywhere. His fingers are everywhere. I assume he would have had to divest himself of his whiteboard business while he's mayor. I don't know. Later, we're going to go to some sort of Sunnydale theme park or like carnival or something. That's probably Mark the message board guy is doing as well. So anyway, it says too late on the whiteboard. And Buffy says that can't be good. And then a bunch of I call it like their saws. Circular saws, yeah. Circular saws. So they they like I don't know, five of them come out of the walls on different angles and like come to chop up Buffy. And she rolls and dodges and she does a flipty doo over one of them. And she runs out of the house and papers are flying everywhere. And then she notices that one of the saws is cut through her very beautiful deep red leather coat. And she says that's gonna cost you. <laughs> so Cut to credits. yeah, they're not getting their deposit back on that place. I actually thought this scene was very funny. Like I'm yeah. like, mm. like this is a funny gag, but also like, damn, like they're not they're not worried about their security deposit at all. No, well, I mean they abandoned the place, so I guess they don't. It's care. so silly though, because you you think about the amount of effort that goes. Like they had to go to a hardware store, buy the saw blades, mount all the saw blades. I don't know how they tested that, but like. Props to them for the complexity of their booby traps. Yeah, it's like they moved into there knowing that she would one day find them. So they spent the entire hideout building that. Did you notice something special about the credit stuff? No. What? Oh, I, kn- I know what you're talking about, though. Go, go ahead. Tell everybody. So this is the only episode where Amber Benson is finally credited as a main cast member in the opening credits. And feel about that. As you will feel. I, I didn't um, watch the credits. I usually just skip to the next scene, obviously. But um, I should have stayed around. I'll go back for next I episode. Just, I will talk more about this at the end of the episode. But she was robbed. And, and I know I said this earlier this season. She should have been a main cast member from the start of season six. Mm-hmm. Willow and Tara are coming downstairs holding hands and they're like, okay, we're ready, ready for action. Well, bad guy fighting action. And they laugh and they're PDA and they're happy. And Buffy and Donna are in the living room and Buffy's like, well, you you know, you could still go be alone if you want to. And Willow's like, no, no, we're good. We're better than good. Super. And they start to make out. And Buffy and Donna are like, aw. And Willow's like, okay, we'll stop. And Don says, you better not. So everyone's just really happy that the girls are back together. Buffy says she found the nerds lair, but they must have known we were tracing their signals. They left in a hurry. Van was gone, but everything else was still there. There was a giant buzzsaw. It was the thing. So this is all that I could save, right? So she hands them all the files and she says, I know it's not much, but we need to go through them to see if we can find anything that might tell us where they're going or what they're doing. And Tara holds up this one book and it's like completely sawed in half. And she's like, well, this might take some time. And Buffy's like, well, we need to fast forward before they can hurt anyone else. And Willow's like, should we call Xander? And Buffy's like, I don't think he's ready. He's really in the Scooby space. We need to give him some time. And Don's like, well, maybe they've heard something in the demon bars about those guys. What about Spike? And Buffy's like, Spike's not part of the team. And Don's like, so he's not going to be around anymore? And Buffy's like, 
I don't know, Don, not for a while. And Tara's like, okay, what about Anya? And Buffy's like, she's guessing she's not really researchy right now. The way that Don asks if he's not going to be around much anymore, it, it really, again, I, just, I love the subtlety here of the delivery. It really demonstrates how Don has kind of accepted Spike's role in this dynamic as Buffy's kind of guy, right? Like tacitly, even though Buffy didn't say anything to Don, Don kind of picked up on, oh, he's always around and he's kind of serving in this capacity and I'm used to him and it's kind of nice and I'm going to miss him even though, you know, he is annoying and, and evil and soulless. Yeah, and it plays into Don's need for stability in some way or another. And Spike has been a stable person in her life since Buffy died. So it makes sense that she'd grow attached to him. Speaking of Anya not being researchy right now, we cut to Anya in a bar in the middle of the day. Yeah, it must be 11 (laughs) a.m. It's, yeah, at some point during the day. (laughs) Yeah. She's talking to a sobbing woman, also blonde, uh, who's saying, how could Carl do that to me? That bastard. And Anya says... He's a man. Look no further. And the woman says, with my sister, she's not even pretty. And Anya says, well, it isn't always about looks or a beating heart or sometimes intimately sweaty relations with the wrong person. Just seems like a good idea at the time. And the the woman through tears is saying, she's fat. He cheated on me with my fat ugly sister Mm. oh boy okay that is that is a lot of internalized misogyny and fat phobia going on here and it's not it's not okay just want to point that out but anya says oh like some fleshy huh Mm. bet you wish he'd put on a couple thousand pounds and pop like a big old meat zeppelin um so the woman says well he said he loves me and anya says then he must have meant it because hey guys never say anything they don't really mean do they They say they love you and you think it's true. They say, oh, Anya, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And you believe them. You believe they feel the same way about you because that's how love's supposed to be, right? And then you get all excited with tingly anticipation. But wait, not so fast. There's the apocalypse and the back from the grave and blah, 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 blah. And by the time you're finally standing there in that beautifully expensive white dress you've dreamed about ever since you became human... He gets the heebie-jeebies and decides, you know, I'd rather just go steady. And the woman, at one point during this diatribe, the woman's like, who's Anya? (laughs) Um, And then the woman's like, men suck. And she starts saying, I wish Carl's flesh would. So she's about to make a vengeance wish. But no, Anya is on a roll. So she keeps going and she says, he said it isn't me. But how could I believe him? He knew he didn't want to get married. Deep down, he knew, but he lied to me for months. So the woman is about to make another wish, and Anya cuts her off again, saying he lied, and he lied, and he lied some more, because who's going to notice with all the other lies flying around like little monkeys? I'm a little bit sad that Anya, I mean, obviously she's on the job. This is coming out while she's supposed to be working. Yeah, it's um, very unprofessional. It is. Uh, but she's still going through something. And I wish that she had like a girlfriend. Um, you know, Halfrack is obviously off on a job somewhere too. But it's a girlfriend to talk to about Halfrack this. also isn't a good listener. No. She seems like one of those people who can't stop trying to fix your life. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, Kara. <laughs> 
Um, you know, it's true. And, um, you know, she tried to talk to the Scoobies about it, but they weren't giving her what she needed at the moment, which was just to vent and to have some empathy and people being on her side. So it's clear that there, there's two things missing here. One, she's just not falling back into her vengeance demon uh, career as as smoothly as I'm sure she did for a thousand years. And then the other thing is that I just wish that she had more of her girlfriends around to help her get through this. Yes, I agree. I'm surprised that de Hoffren doesn't have some kind of like onboarding system where in order to fully resume her vengeance demon abilities, she has to like go through a probationary period where she has like some kind of supervisor like monitoring her vengeance for a set amount of time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, a little mentor. In a cave somewhere, Andrew is pleading for his life while a demon is stalking him. And then the demon gets zapped from behind by a weapon that Warren is holding and the demon falls to the ground. And Andrew starts zapping the demon too with his weapon. And Warren's like, we need we need it fresh, not smokehouse. So Andrew says, I'm, do- I'm done beating the bait. Next time, one of you can wiggle on the hook. And Warren says, if this, is, if this works, next time will be the thing that everyone's afraid of. And Jonathan says, okay, what now? And Warren says, it's your turn sparky and throws him a knife so spike is in his crypt he's adding alcohol to his blood (laughs) and don is at the door asking if it helps and spike says it doesn't hurt so don has bags with her right and she says she's sleeping over janice's i was like you need to start paying rent at Janice's house. Like, you're always there. I love it. I love it. I hope you're having Mexican tonight. Dawn says she's figured Willow and Tara might need some time to, uh... And Spike's like, oh, the birds are flying again. Ain't love grand. So Dawn says, I wanted to stop by on my way. Is Spike's crypt on the way to Janice's? Which I was assuming was like four blocks away. Remember Halloween? We don't forget Halloween, Yeah, Dawn. it's four blocks away around the crypt. <laughs> Past the crypt. Spike's crypt is like next door. Cemetery number seven. Past, past that one. Uh, she says, everybody's pretty mad at you. You're not going to be coming around anymore, are you? And Spike says, it's complicated, Niblet. And Don says, it's uh, says everybody keeps saying that. And Spike says, must be true then. Don's like, was it worth it, what you did with Anya? And Spike says, Buffy told you? And Don says, I kind of caught the show. <laughs> there was a camera somewhere in the magic box. Warren and Jonathan and the other guy have been watching Buffy. And Spike says, wankers. So I guess he, like this whole time, Spike's just been wondering to himself, how do they know? <laughs> like immediately that... Uh... Yeah, Don's really leaking intel here. Right? So Don says, do you love her? <sighs> And Spike says, oh, no, no, it was, it was just a bad day for both of us. And we just had a couple drinks. And Don's like, no, not Anya, Buffy. Do you really love her? Then how could you do that to her? Spike says, oh, right, because Big Sis was treating me so well up until then. Must still be a bit of evil left in me after all. And Don says, I don't know what happened between you two, but what you did last night, if you wanted to hurt Buffy, congratulations, it worked. So my initial thought was metal so much. <laughs> Um, But upon further reflection on Donella's character, I was like, you know what? Like we said earlier, she has a connection to Spike. She probably sees him as a big brother of some sort. So I like that she's sticking up so hard for Buffy. I like that she came here to be like, you heard her. The fuck you doing? But I also can't help but think that Dawn is still confused between... Of course she is, because she's young. But she's confused, but like we've had this conversation in last season when she was saying, I like Spike, same thing as you and Angel. It's like, it's not the same. 
Spike's situation is completely different from other vampires. The chip is different from the soul. Like, I just feel like she's a little bit confused still. Well, aren't we all? <laughs> well, who isn't this season, really? I, I love this scene. I love how they're portraying Donatello in this episode. She is right at that cusp of maturity, right? Between being a girl, being a woman, where she's old enough to kind of grasp what's going on between Buffy and Spike, right? She knows they were having sex. She knows it's complicated. And she knows that there's a lot of hurt and pain, but she's still too young to fully appreciate the complexity of that hurt, you know, and, and her showing up here, like you said, meddling, I think that's a great word for it. And, and her like saying things like, yeah, everybody's saying it's complicated and I don't get it. Like that that's betraying, you know, the youthfulness, right? The naivete that she has because she herself is still figuring out this whole idea of romance and sexuality and desire. And, and she's seeing her sister go through this thing and she can tell it's hard but she herself doesn't have the experience and the wisdom to really process it. So I think the show does a very good job of being realistic. You know, I know we've said in the past that sometimes it felt like Dawn's character was written to be much younger than she actually was. They aged her up because of Michelle Trachtenberg's age. This is an instance where I think Dawn is very much acting her age. And I really like it. Like, to me, this was one of my favorite scenes in this episode, just because of how Dawn is acting here. Yeah, that's very fair. And and again, I like that she's doing this on behalf of Buffy. So there is some sort of fizzy barrier <laughs> in the cave that Warren and Andrew find. And Warren is saying that they have to be careful because only Nesla demons can get past the barrier. And he proves this by throwing a rock at it and it gets electrocuted. So Jonathan says, this sucks. And he walks up and he's now wearing the Nesla demon skin that they skinned. Ew. Ugh. Well, this must be where Lady Gaga got her notorious meat dress idea from. <laughs> no doubt. So Warren says, make sure all your skin's covered. Uh, they put the demon's face over Jonathan's head. This part would have been disgusting. So Jonathan says, it's still wet. And Warren's like, good, it should still be fresh then. And Jonathan says, what do you mean should be? And then Warren shoves him through the barrier, but it works. And Jonathan says, jackass, and walks away. Andrew asks Warren if Jonathan knows. And Warren says, if he did, why would he be here? And Andrew says, well, why is he? We could have pulled this off ourselves. And Warren says, someone had to be the guinea pig with a meat suit. Were you going to volunteer? And Andrew says he doesn't trust the leprechaun. Warren says, if this works the way we planned it, by the end of the evening, Jonathan won't be a problem. Ooh. So their evil coup is happening this night. So Jonathan comes back across the barrier. He says, I got it. He hands Warren a box. <laughs> Warren uses... <coughs> some sort of gadget on it and then it opens and there are two orbs that are called orbs of Nesla Khan and I like that name Nesla Khan <laughs> and my dog's name used to be Khan so Andrew says they're everything I've ever dreamed of and Jonathan says these things have been down here for a zillion years how do you know they'll still work and Warren starts glowing purple as he has the balls in his hands and he's like oh they work and I was like oh it's so typical that they would have these three guys seek out two powerful balls to fight Buffy, you know? Mm, yeah, the sim symbolism is very much on the nose this episode, and we're going to talk about that later, I'm sure. Especially when Andrew says, are you sure they're working? I thought they were supposed to make us all huge and veiny. <laughs> like, oh, 
So Nesla Demon runs toward Warren. He's like, let's find out. And he easily snaps this demon's neck. And then Jonathan says, let me try. And Warren holds him back and says, you'll get your whirl as soon as I'm done playing with them. So a couple of things from this. Lots of orbs lately, right? We saw an mm-hmm. orb in Hell's Battle. We see two orbs here. Interesting. Lots of neck snapping lately for demons. Lot Like, this is the third mm-hmm. one. I'm sorry, staff. Ugh. Like, I mean, I, it's okay for me to watch demons get their neck snapped. Yeah, but snapped. remember, one of them wasn't a demon. One of them was just Dale in a bad bear <laughs> costume. It's a lot. So, th- so I wonder how many more neck snaps we'll see before the end of the season. The other thing I was going to say was that if this has been down here for a zillion years and it's like this, these big, powerful balls... No one else has heard of them. No one else has seek them out. The Nesla demons yeah, are like, really easy to Spike kill. didn't go after them. Yeah, was, this is the thing about the Hellmouth, right? It's like <laughs> there's always another thing that's like, yeah, it's been there for centuries, like, but we're just hearing about it now. I bet Giles knew about these orbs. Gwendolyn Post is stupid for going for the glove <laughs> of Gav. Was it? What was it? The glove of Midigan. Was that what? Because whatever. Yes. Legos's glove over. <laughs> The orbs of Or Legos Neslacon. just wanted to have a fashion <laughs> statement piece, right? But no, you go for the glove instead of the orbs. Uh, rookie mistake. Legos was like, I made this lightning glove to look cool. And you killed me for it. And I'm so sad. He's like, it's so metal. I am the most metal of all demons. And then it's like, death. Oh, oh dear. So now we're in Xander's apartment. Buffy's at the door. And Xander lets her in and he says, I think there's still a cold one in the fridge, which Steph has helpfully written in her notes referring to a beer. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> You're welcome, I did Cara. understand that. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> uh, Buffy says, thanks, but it's still a little early for me. So still the same day. Beer bad. Beer bad. Pretty pretty. <laughs> the apartment is not very clean, I guess, you know, to show us that he's Xander's not doing so well. But how, you know. How are we to know? That's just typical Xander. When Anya's not there, perhaps, right? Yeah. So they sit down on Xander's couch. (laughs) Steph has written in her notes so that Xander can make this all about him. You're not wrong, (laughs) Steph. I have thoughts. Buffy says she loves you. You know that. Anya was just hurting. She was hurting and she did this really stupid thing. And then Xander says, with your boyfriend. And Buffy says, he's not my boyfriend. And Xander says, I know why, Anya. I understand. I do. But you, all those times I told Spike to get lost, that he didn't have a chance with a girl like you? <sighs> okay. Shut the fuck up, Xander. You know what bothers me the most about this whole scene? And Xander in general for this episode. He doesn't seem to care about Anya and Spike at all. He says just here, I get it, right? Like, that makes sense to me. He spends the entire episode pissed off about Buffy. About Buffy banging Spike and unpacking his own feelings about Spike and Buffy. And he's not upset anymore about what he did with Anya. He's like, why not me? Why couldn't you have sex with me, Buffy? Like, Fuck off. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like Xander is the worst right now. I'm I'm, going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize. Xander is making it all about him. And he's he's making Buffy feel worse. If you have nothing nice to say, Xander, just don't say anything. Just be like, Don't let yeah, it come in. It sucks. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about you. I need more time. Like, yeah, like you don't have to talk to Buffy about it. And if you are upset about her and Spike, sure, fine. That's valid. I'm not here to, you know, police your emotions, Xander. But there's a difference between having those feelings and taking it out on Buffy. Because deep down, you feel guilty about what you did to Anna, Anya, but you're 
going to take it out on your friends instead. Oh, oh my God. Like Xander. Uh. Yeah. And also making Buffy's choices a bigger issue than what you did to Anya is such low behavior. You know, it's. Well, and he's ugh. always judged her for yes. the guy she's been with. Right. This was how he felt about Angel, too. And although he was very like on board with Riley. Again, like towards the end of that relationship, he was lecturing Buffy about how she wasn't good enough for Riley at that moment, right? Like Xander always seems to think he knows what's best for Buffy, as we're going to find out in the next conversation. So Buffy says, you don't know how hard it's been. Xander says, what? Lying to me? Fuck <laughs> off, Xander. No, her depression, Xander. Buffy says, being here. After I was brought back, you have no idea how hard it is just being here. And Xander says, you could have told me. And Buffy says, you didn't want to know. And Xander says, so you went to him instead? Buffy says, Xander, what I do with my personal life is none of your business. And Xander says, it used to be. <laughs> Buffy says, you fought side by side with him when I was gone. You let him take care of Don. And Xander says, I never forgot what he really is. God, what were you thinking? And Buffy says, you're asking me that because your decision-making skills have really sparkled lately. Mm -mm 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 -mm. And Xander says, I'm not saying I didn't make any mistakes, but last time I checked, slaughtering half of Europe wasn't one of them. He doesn't have a soul, Buffy. Just some leash they jammed in his head. You think he'd still be all snuggles if that chip ever stopped working? Would you still trust him with Don then? And Buffy says, I'm not seeing him anymore. It's over. And Xander says, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. And he crumples up his beer can and he throws it onto the floor and he leaves. <laughs> yeah. He leaves his own apartment like this guy. It would have been too petulant for him to just go into his room and close the door. So he like left the entire apartment itself. So, so Xander, like, fine. You can feel however you want to feel about Spike, but you cannot project those feelings yes, onto Buffy. You. Buffy can do and feel and whatever she wants with Spike. And it's this judgment that made her keep you in the dark about the situation in the first place. Yes. And like, you know, you and I have been very critical of Spuffy from the start of this relationship, right? Like we are not on board with Spuffy. We don't condone it. We don't think Buffy's making healthy choices here. So it pains me for us to have to kind of defend Buffy here because we have said some of the same things, right? We've been like, he doesn't have a soul, Buffy. Like, he's bad for you. He's, it's just the chip. Like, we have said some of the things Xander has said. One of the differences is we're not saying it to Buffy's face. We're also not, you know, one of her best friends. Yeah. So, so it pains me that we're now in this position where we're like trying to defend her against Xander. But at the end of the day, right, it is all about timing and, and right place right time this is not the right place nor is it the right time for xander to talk to buffy about this if he wanted to have you know an intervention and use the i statements there is a time and a place for that right if your friend is doing something you think is unhealthy and self-harm you can pull them aside at the right time he's not in the right headspace to be doing it he is not in the right you know frame of mind to be trying to talk to buffy about this and, and it just shows, right, that level of immaturity from him. And it just, it's so frustrating to me. And it's very interesting to me. I'll, I'll probably have more to say about this later in the episode. I saw a lot of similarities between Xander and Warren in this episode. 
obviously Xander is not as violently misogynistic as Warren, right? But it, again, it's that element of toxic masculinity where Xander feels like he has some sense of say in Buffy's life. He feels like he has the prerogative to police her sexuality because he is a man. And the role that he has internalized as a man is I can judge women for being sluts. And, and it's it, it's not something that's consciously going through his mind here, right? He's not consciously sitting there being like, oh, Buffy's a slut and I have to slut shame her. But he's taken on that messaging thanks to the patriarchy. And that's what's coming out in this scene. And another facet of misogyny, misogyny mm. and sexism and rape culture are not just what we see later in the bathroom or in Warren's confrontation with Buffy, the way he talks to her, or later on, you know, with the violence. That's all misogyny and sexism and rape culture. But what Xander is doing here, which echoes stuff he said in previous episodes all the way back to season one, that is also a facet of misogyny and rape culture. And we have to call this shit out. Well said. What really annoys me, and I, I think it's too bad for his character, but also fuck you, Xander, is that he's been singing this tune since season two, and he has not changed. He's not grown. He's not learned from any of the previous confrontations he's exactly. had with Buffy since those earlier seasons. This is taking me all the way back to Dead Man's Party, when he was so yes. self-righteous and so judgmental and had zero empathy for what Buffy was going through. This is the exact same conversation, but Angel's gone and Spike's in. Yes. And at the same time, Xander, you've been sleeping with, with Anya, who is also a demon. For most of her, like a thousand years. And then she took a three-year vacation. So you have no right to be the self-righteous around her. But she continue, he continues to be season after season after season. And I'm sick of it. <coughs> so I can't with him. I know we're going to see more of him in a bit. One, one angle that I did take on this, uh, which I actually kind of thought was a dynam dynamic that was really realistic. Because it's happened to me where... I've dealt with a friend who saw me and our friendship one way, but he never voiced those boundaries or expectations to me. So when I didn't reach those expectations, you know, because I was changing, I was growing up, I was, I was living my own life, it suddenly reaches this point in, in your friendship when you just, you don't see eye to eye anymore. And it's up to, you know, it was up to me and my friend to decide if that conflict was something we wanted to work through or not. But this scene reminded me of that and how you can sometimes reach those stages in your life with your friends where sometimes you just change too much or you realize that you've grown apart a little bit and that can hurt. So you, so all that being said is that Xander needs to get his head out of his ass long enough to realize that Buffy is going to have a life that's separate from him. She's going to make decisions and choices for herself that he doesn't like. And she's been doing that since the beginning, but he needs to finally accept that and realize that that's something he either needs to get on board with or get the fuck off the ship, you know? Like, mm -hmm. stop. Stop judging her and just love her as a friend. That's all we're asking. So, sad music starts to play as Xander walks the streets at night. Again, what time is it? Anya is dusting her shop. Xander peeks at her through the window, then walks away. Willow and Tara are naked in bed doing research. I think they're at Tara's now. I don't think they're at home. Yeah, they they seem to be in Tara's dorm room because yeah. it's 
definitely different decor. So Willow says um, that she's found encrypted blueprints and schematics on one of the discs. Tara says they can cross-reference them at the county clerk's office. And Willow says, does that involve getting up? Tara says, eventually. Willow says, then I'm not, I'm firmly against it. And Tara says, what about the trio's evil scheme? Willow says, I'm kind of busy working on my own. And then Tara leans back because they have more mm, stuff to do. (laughs) I cannot. I am. Yeah. This is so unfair. We'll get to there. At a bar, Xander is getting hit on by, apparently, according to staff, a hot woman. I I mean, I'm amazed. Like, how could this be? What's going on in Sunnydale? Is the well dried up? What's happening? Yeah, maybe Xander is the most attractive man at that (laughs) bar. You never know. (laughs) Uh, So Xander does what Anya did earlier. (laughs) He starts ranting about his romantic life. (laughs) Steph says... (laughs) I'm too mad at Xander to write it all out. But he ends with saying, hey, chicken of the sea, here's not doing too good with the women these days. Sorry. Just looking to curl up in the quiet alone tonight. So basically he like blows the woman off, right? Chicken in the sea. Did you recognize that reference, Kara? What do you think? I mean, I I hope you do because it is millennial as fuck. Um, It's from the show Newlyweds, which was a reality show between Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey. I somehow missed that show. Somehow you didn't watch it. Uh, Well, you should have because it made Jessica Simpson a fucking star when she was eating, I think, tuna. And she was like, is tuna chicken of the sea (laughs) or something like that? Anyway. Fucking okay, hilarious. I, va- I vaguely remember this meme now. I yeah, get it. it's like a um, it's a pop culture thing for sure. So this scene is here not just to show us, you know, Xander has reached his new low, but also the trio walks into the bar. It sounds like the start of a bad joke. It's, yes. It is. Yeah. Um, the trio walks into a bar. Jonathan says he doesn't have time for this, and Andrew's telling him ease up, twitchy. So Andrew's really riding the Jonathan insults hard this episode. Mm-hmm. You might say he's he's compensating. You know, I think Andrew's maybe starting to to feel a sense of, well, if, if we can cut Jonathan out of this, what's to stop Warren from cutting me out next? I think there's subconsciously some discomfort. Oh, so he's, he's doubling down on his loyalty? Yeah. And Warren says, all right, let's make some noise. And Warren has swagger now. He's got balls. <laughs> he's literally got balls now. So... Let's cut to Buffy in another large coat. This one is has is like very Canadian to me. It's got like that sheep lining inside. She's fighting a vamp and she's like, not bad. How hard are you going to hit when you're blown in the wind? And as she stakes him, this vamp jumps up so rude and like jump kicks her. And as he dusts, Buffy flies back, falls over a tombstone, um, crushing, like breaking it in half. And she groans on the ground and she says, that was rhetorical. That must have been an expensive visual effect so i they're they're showing off at this point before we get into the the badness a lot of tombstones get broken in this show do you think the cemetery has to cover them um that's a good question i would assume that the owner of the grave has to cover it unless there's some kind of insurance yeah okay 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 so here we go we have reached the scene Kara and i have discussed this beforehand we think it's best that we warn you now that we will be covering the scene in as much detail as is necessary to feed the discussion that we're going to have Kara will include in the show notes of this episode the timing of when we begin the discussion and when we end it so that if you want to skip forward you are more than welcome to. And we, again, uh, stress that you practice self-care, that you take care of yourself, because we are going to be discussing the scene as of right now. 
<sighs> okay, so we are in her bathroom at home. Uh, Buffy is wearing a bathrobe and she's turning on the bath. She's clearly hurt. Like she, she was injured from that fight with the vamp. So Spike comes in and he says, are you hurt? You're not moving so well. Okay, sorry. I, I just, I have to stop. I have to stop you right there already. Yeah. Who walks into the bathroom? Like, he doesn't even live there. But yeah. even if he lived there, like, I would knock on the door, right? Or I'd wait. Like, if, if somebody I live with, let alone somebody I'm in a relationship with, is in the bathroom, I would just be like, oh, they're in the bathroom. That's a private space. They're doing whatever they want to do in there. I'll wait until they come out and then I'll talk to them. This, this guy, this guy. This guy. Okay, 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 but you know he's not the only guy to just barge into a bathroom in this episode. Uh, well, after this, Buffy says, get out. He says, we have to talk. And the, I agree with you. And I also put the note in. I was like, Jesus Christ, Spike. She is in the bathroom. Stop stepping into her space. Give her space, especially when she's in the bathroom. I don't care if you heard the tub running. This isn't your space to crawl up in. And I understand that their relationship up until now has been very, like, get in each other's spaces. But she broke up with him a couple episodes ago. So this is completely inappropriate. And the fact that she said, get out. And he's like, we need to talk. Like, he's demanding that he stay and talk to her now. I also want to point out from a cinematography perspective, um, this is our first time seeing the bathroom in the summer's residence shot this way up until now we've really only seen close-ups um we've seen kind of like different angles in different episodes but in this scene there are a lot of wide shots mm -hmm. and a lot of almost overhead shots that show almost the entire bathroom uh from above so that you can get a good kind of sense of the the blocking and the relative positions of buffy and spike and so I just I wanted to point that out because if you have watched this scene recently before listening to the episode, probably that wasn't the first thing on your mind as you watched this. And and it's very clear that a lot of thought and care went into the the shooting, the blocking, um, the filming of this scene. <sighs> yeah, sorry, I don't have any other point. I just wanted to point that. No, out. I, I'm glad that you brought that up because hey, we're we're in it, so let's talk about it. I saw that one angle that's like up in the corner that points down at them from far away. I saw that mm -hmm. very much for me as almost like a security camera. Right. Like that's kind of the angle that it gave me. And it's upsetting because, you know, a lot of the times when um, people are attacked, when victims are attacked, it's in parking garages, you know, like areas that might have security cameras set up from a distance. So that that's what that reminded me of and that's upsetting mm -hmm. another upsetting aspect of this scene for me is that you notice there is no music and just yeah. like in the body they chose to take away the music and make it as real as they possibly could this is a supernatural show this is a show that has magic that that uses music to emphasize that magic just like we saw in once more with feeling an entire episode dedicated to it so to take away that element to it brings this level of realism back in just like we got in the body and for a scene like this did, did they have to i mean I, they obviously did it to make it as realistic as um visceral as possible but again mm -hmm. was that necessary i don't know well i don't think this scene is necessary well, we talk about that well that moment. blank blank statement yes that that is the scene is not necessary but to 
oh, it's it's okay. So let's let's keep going because it's already it's already hard. Yeah. It's already getting hard. So um, Buffy says we really don't need to talk, and he says this isn't a, just about you as much as you'd like it to be. Spike says uh, Buffy says you spoke. I listened. Now leave. So you see that she says go again. Spike says I'm sorry. Not that it matters anymore, but I needed you to know that. And Buffy says, why? He says, because I care about you. And Buffy says, then you might want to try not sleeping with my friends. And Spike says, I didn't go to Anya for that. I was looking for a spell. Buffy says, you're going to put a spell on me? And Spike says, it wasn't for you. I wanted something, anything to make the feeling stop. I just wanted it to stop. You should have let him kill me. And you, you know, like, remember in the last episode when... Xander was fighting Spike. He wasn't really fighting back. And we didn't really comment too much on that. I just said, like, oh, like, he, he just didn't. Mm-hmm. So are we supposed to believe here that he was feeling so bad about no. what happened? He says, you know what I mean? So No, he's being melodramatic right now. He is. He is. So Buffy says, I couldn't do that. Spike says, why? Buffy says, you know why. Spike says, because you love me. <sighs> Buffy says, no, I don't. And she shuts off the water and Spike says, why do you keep lying to yourself? And Buffy says, how many times? All right, I have feelings for you. I do. But it's not love. I could never trust you enough for it to be love. Spike says, trust is for old marrieds, Buffy. Great love is wild and passionate and dangerous. It burns and consumes. And Buffy says, until there's nothing left, love like that doesn't last. Oh my God. I I hate this. I hate it when people say that about love. It's so irresponsible. It is an excuse for harm and abuse in a relationship. And and just to be clear, right, if you have a passionate love in your relationship, I'm not saying your relationship is a priority abusive. I'm saying that often this is a line that abusers use to cover the abuse in their relationship as passion. Um, so for me, this is a huge red flag because as, as Buffy just points out, right, typically that love, that passion is temporary and maybe it flares up again throughout the relationship. But, you know, a healthy, stable relationship is about an ongoing sense of commitment and, and you know, and a trust. lot of other things. And, <laughs> trust. Yes, thank you. Trust. A lot of stuff that Spike does not show her. And this is why I get upset at TV shows and movies and other media, which A, not only do they prioritize romantic love above, you know, other types of love as if there's a hierarchy, but also, you know, the whole grand gesture, like that's what Spike is all about, right? He's like, I'm going to do a grand gesture and you're finally going to admit that I love that you love me. And it's like, that's not how love works. I'm sorry, but that's not how that works, Spike. Mm-hmm. And also, Spike, that's what love is to you. And Buffy is very clear that that's not what love is to her. And this might be the first time that Buffy has clearly stated this to Spike, right? To say that I do feel something for you, sure, but it's not love. She's clearly putting it in his face here and he doesn't want to accept it. He says, I know you feel like I do. You don't have to hide it anymore. Buffy says, Spike, please stop this. Spike comes up to her, grabs her, and he says, let yourself feel it. And then as this scene progresses, Buffy keeps trying to push him off her. He keeps grabbing her, touching her wherever he can. He says, you know, love me, love me. She starts shouting. She starts saying, stop, right? Stop it. Ow, you're hurting me. He ends up mauling her. She does fall, rips the shower curtain down, um, hits her, her back again on the tub so she's extra hurt he does 
manage to get her on the floor. She tries crawling away a number of times while she's screaming at him to stop. She's crying. He he holds her wrists down. One thing he says to her while he's on top of her is, let yourself go. Let yourself love me. And then before it continues on, something that genuinely shocked me on top of this shock was that they faded to a commercial. They faded to a commercial yeah. in this scene. Yeah. It's so insensitive. Like, oh, take five minutes, grab a fucking drink, then come back while Boppy's getting sexually assaulted on screen. Like, uh, what? <sighs> so we come back. Um, Spike is telling Buffy while she's crying under him, I know you felt it when I was inside you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Buffy does manage to kick him away um, and crawl away from him, but he ends up grabbing her and pinning her again. He says, I'm going to make you feel it. You, like, you will feel it again, Buffy. I'm going to make you feel it. And Buffy is screaming at him, pleading for him to stop. He does rip open her bathrobe, but that's when she manages to kick him across the bathroom and he smashes into the wall. And they both get up. Buffy is holding her ripped bathroom over her body and she's looking disheveled and traumatized and... She's crying and she says, ask me again why I could never love you. Because I stopped you. Something I should have done a long time ago. <sighs> okay, so I watched this episode twice as I usually do, right? I watch it once and then I go back and do the notes. And I have to pay very close attention to the scene as I make these notes. And I can safely tell you, Cara, that I will never be watching this episode again. If I rewatch the show again, I will be skipping this episode. Rape scenes in movies and shows are always hard for me to watch, but this is Buffy. <laughs> this is this is Buffy and I've never felt more close to Buffy than I have during this rewatch. Like how could I not when you and I love her and follow her so closely for almost 3 years now. So, this scene is traumatizing and it's demoralizing. It really is. It's it's demoralizing as a fan of this show to watch Buffy be so scared and in a state where she can't fight back, at least not for the first little bit. She freezes, right? And that's what happens to victims in these situations. And um, it just makes me so sad, not just for Buffy, but for victims who don't have her strength. And thank God she fought him off and she got out of that situation. But Buffy's a superhero and she can, and not everyone can. And that's what this episode reminded me of. I think this scene is extremely irresponsible. I, I think they are torturing the viewers. As you pointed out, right, there is the commercial break placement Ugh, in the scene. It's so insensitive. Oh, my God. The, the way it's filmed, right? Because obviously we are meant to empathize with Buffy here and, and feel what she's feeling and feel her hurt and her terror and her pain. So, so the show is putting the viewers through that. I mean, I'm on record as not being a fan of rape as a plot device in general. There, There's this, you know, awful, awful argument that some people make that you, you have to show rape in TV shows and movies and other media so that people understand the horror of it. And, and I'm not I'm not saying, you know, blanket ban, like we can never depict rape on screen, but like it is overused. Right. And. and too often, it's it's men using it as a plot device to be like, look at how terrible this situation is. People are being raped. Women are being raped. A lot of people point to the fact that this scene was conceived of by Marty Noxon, 
you know, and, and there's an interview with James Marsters in the Radio Times where he talks about how basically he doesn't name Marty Noxon, but it's, it's well known that she's she's the one he was referring to about how this is kind of autobiographical. It's kind of based on something in her life where she was the one uh, in Spike's position. But then she she decided, let's flip the genders because Buffy is powerful enough to fight him off that it's okay. And in this interview, James Marsters is like, but actually it's not okay because we're putting the viewers through this. And, and I agree with his point there, right? Like, this is irresponsible, just as you said, because of how we feel about Buffy, because of the way, you know, yes, the power dynamic is different because she's the Slayer and she has super strength. But there's also something misogynistic happening here where the show is trying to cut Buffy down to size. And it's saying, look, Buffy is, you know, a woman just like any of us. She, too, is vulnerable to being raped by men. Um, So you should be scared as well, because if the Slayer can be raped, then you could also be raped. And and it's, it's a really, really, like, uncomfortable and distressing thing to to see depicted on the screen i don't think this scene should be here it it, there are other ways they could have demonstrated that spike has now crossed another line with buffy that they chose to do it this way in my opinion this is an unforgivable thing the only way that they could possibly make this attempted rape of buffy by her ex-lover Spike, is to make it count in the stories that come from this and not the stories of Spike, but Buffy's story. What is the aftermath of this? How is Buffy going to handle the emotional fallout of this incident? Are they going to let her process and deal with this trauma? Well, and I think we should also maybe acknowledge, right, like this is not the first time that Buffy has been sexually assaulted. Um, she's been sexually assaulted several times throughout the show. Um, obviously, I think the one that comes to mind is Go Fish. The pack? Yeah. Well, yes, the pack, too. Like, we've already seen how Buffy moves through this world as a woman in, in a misogynistic society, you know, in rape culture. The show has made that point. We don't need to have that point made again. But it, it's also just like the the pain of the scene here a lot of it has to do with the intensity of it i i feel for sarah michelle geller and james marsters having to do this scene they, and they must have had to do it like over and over right and like, you know what i i will say on their behalf it, it's a weird thing to say about a scene that i hate so much but they acted it well does that make sense like like i i thought that they both did the role like they did the job well right in that it was believable like that's that's what all I can give it, yeah. right? Yeah. But I, the the thing is, I don't see any nuance here. Like a lot of people are always like, "Oh, it's such a, such a nuanced scene." Is it because there's no way for me to come at this from both sides right now? All I see is Spike being a predator. All I saw was Spike emotionally and physically abusing Buffy for two seasons now, and I think that this sexual assault is the culmination of that storyline. And I've heard people 
tell me. Like people have, have sent messages, have commented on all the social posts that I do. People say that the scene came out of nowhere. This is not in character for Spike. Therefore, I don't believe it or I don't you know, think it's canon because it's not in Spike's character. And that's simply not true. We've known that he was abusive to Drusilla and to Harmony. And I would argue that he's shown signs that he's capable of this kind of act since his brief visit in season three, when he kidnapped Willow and brought her to that little factory. Um, and again, in season four, when he attacks Willow in her dorm room. Remember, you and I are pointing out all the parallels to rape of Willow being the weaker character in that instance. Well, we've, we've known since his introduction school hard how yeah. misogynistic he is. I, I made that point all the way back there because... You know, I, I knew going into our rewatch that I was going to be harsh on Spike as a, a representative of the more obvious forms of misogyny in our society. Y- yeah, I, it, it bothers me when people say things like, well, I'm just going to ignore the scene and pretend it didn't happen, which is different, right, from not watching it because you don't want to be re-traumatized. We can say that we don't like the scene. We can say it's irresponsible. We can say we wish it didn't happen. The fact of the matter is that it did. It is in the show. It is canon. Spike did this thing. And also, it didn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. It, it, you're right. It is consistent with his character. And, and I think a lot of people who are, who are trying to hand wave it away are doing it because, understandably, they have a lot of discomfort, especially people who are very invested in the Spuffy ship, right, to have one of your two characters in this ship show that they are capable of such terrible, disgusting behavior, um, it, it can shake the foundations of your enjoyment of that ship, right? And as much as I don't fully comprehend the the appeal of, of Buffy and Spike, I accept that there are people who find Buffy and Spike's relationship interesting and appealing and, and you know, hot and I understand that there there is something to be said for the bad boy relationship, for this arc that Buffy follows of being with a guy who's not good for her because of all that she's been through. And, and I know there are a lot of people who see themselves in that or see aspects of their life or somehow identify with that. And, and so for the terminus of the relationship to be this point... Um, again, my anger is not at the people who are dismissing this scene and, and trying to wave it away. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the show and I'm angry at the writers for their betrayal of that, right? Like, I'm sorry, Spuffy people. You deserved better with this relationship. I'm not, I, I personally don't think the relationship could ever have ended happily. Something bad was going to happen. Did it have to be this? No. That was a bad choice on the part of the writers. Unfortunately, it is still the choice they made, and we have to accept that. And I agree with you, Steph. The, the choice is not out of character. It's just it was an unnecessary extreme escalation. Escalation. Yeah. Because because I had said back in Dead Things, I think when Buffy broke down to Tara, that should have been the end of it. That should have been as, as hard as it got. There was no need to escalate it to this level. But... 
now that they have and what you just said right like this sucks for spuffy shippers because this this is obviously there's no coming back from this but i would argue that there was no coming back from when he stalked her in season five when he built the buffy bot oh in for season sure. five yeah. when he groped her when he listened to her having sex when he had the shrine when he sniffed her panties like this is all stuff i, I he's think been buffy doing. should have staked him earlier yes. yeah like but yeah like they're the only reason they kept Spike around, right, is because the the, the dynamic there was amusing. It, it, it created a lot of tension and drama in the show. But, like, realistically speaking, Buffy should have staked Spike a long time ago and been done with it. I've heard the stories that, like, James Marster said that the, the fandom just loved Spike so much that Joss Whedon had to come in there and say, you shippers need to stop because he's a bad guy and I'm going to make him rape Buffy so that you learn that he's a bad guy. That's misogynistic in its own, like Joss Whedon creating his own misogynistic fandom Shocking. and then taking them down, right? It's like, it's like assuming that girls that like Spike or like Buffy and Spike together are so stupid that they can't realize that he's a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like uh, that, that's an issue on its own. But on the other hand, I would argue that this scene is not when he did that. I would imagine because of all the stuff I just listed, he started on that train in season five to show all the ways that Spike is the wrong guy for Buffy. And people just forget because the sex was so hot this season. So I think that when when people argue that this is out of character for Spike, it's just not true. I want to talk about a bit about something that you've said many times in the past, Cara, that rape is not about sex, not just about sex. It's about power. And Spike has had no power for a couple of seasons now. So in Smashed, he found some again. And wouldn't you know it, with that newfound power came a sexual relationship with Buffy. And then he kept saying all the right things to keep Buffy in the dark, to keep her wanting to have sex with him low enough that he could maintain that power over her. And then when she finally takes back her power and refuses to sleep with him anymore, he's left powerless again. So in his last ditch effort, he comes to this bathroom to get her to confess that he that she loves him. And when she refuses, what does he do? He forces himself on her. So that's what I've seen in Spike's character. That's who he is. And people say they feel sorry for Spike because after he did all that, they say like, you know, his face after Buffy kick, kicks him and says, this is why I couldn't love you. His face is like shocked. He's like, oh, Buffy, God, like, what have I done? And we're going to see a whole scene about that in a little bit. But yeah, people are like are like, oh, he clearly regretted it as soon as it happened. It, it just goes back to what we saw in Dead Things, right? With Jonathan and Andrew not comprehending at first that what they were doing is rape, right? Like Spike not understanding the severity of what he's doing doesn't excuse the consequences of his actions. And yeah, like I, I have zero sympathy for Spike oh. in this scene. Oh, I have, I have negative sympathy. <laughs> I have antipathy for Spike right now. I have enmity. Like what Spike does here and, and that's the, that's the point, right? When we say, you know, rape is not just about sex, it's about power. It's not just the physical violence, the assault on Buffy. It's not just him taking away uh, her agency over her body and her ability to consent to him. It's the fact that he feels justified in imposing himself on her space by coming into the bathroom his insistence that she loves him and that she must acknowledge that, right? 
after she fights him off and he backs away and we see the pain on his face you know i i don't fucking care spike i don't care how you feel in this moment because you have crossed a line and and that is the point right is people can do things that harm us and, and we can forgive them and it's not my place to tell about buffy whether or not she should forgive spike she has to make that decision we we can forgive those people if we choose to forgiveness is different from also like letting people back into our life sometimes you just forgive people but you're like you're still bad for me don't come near me yeah spike doesn't deserve my sympathy here because he doesn't understand what he's doing is wrong and if he did understand that what he was doing is wrong and he did it anyway that doesn't change the impact the consequences right and it, it is impact over intent so i don't care whether or not somebody goes into a situation intending to cause harm if you've caused harm if the impact of your actions is harmful then the consequence of that is you know more important than what your intentions were buffy's trauma is more important than spike feeling bad yeah and I don't coddle rapists, okay? Spike is not a confused little boy who doesn't know what rape is. He's a 150-something-year-old vampire. He knows what rape is. He knows how to look down at a screaming, crying, distraught Buffy underneath him and understand that she's not consenting. She doesn't want mm -hmm. this. He just didn't care. And I know that there are some people out there that say that Buffy was giving iffy consent this whole time, right? She was like, no, and then they would. But I'm sorry, we watched those kind of scenes in Gone, Dead Things, Older and Far Away, as you were. We watched that dynamic happen. Never once was Buffy sobbing and pushing him away and saying, ow, you're hurting me. Get off. Stop, stop, stop. But also, like, even, you know, aside from that, and as we've talked about this in those episodes... This is part of my problem with the idea of rape as a plot device on screen. I think it's harmful the way that our media portrays rape scenes mm -hmm. as, as having to be these black and white things where clearly there is an aggressor and there is somebody being raped, the victim, the survivor. And, and it has to be so clear cut to be to be evil and to be wrong. Right. And, and something that really got to me as we were seeing the evolution of Buffy and Spike's sexual relationship is that there were those moments where it's like well is this assault is this abuse right what was the consent dynamic here and part of the problem with rape culture in our society is we have a tendency to litigate what is rape um especially when it comes down to public cases uh you know uh, famous people or not even famous people but just people especially women who accuse people publicly of rape right and then it's like well you know he said she said and what are the facts and did you fight back and did you say no right and and it becomes this kind of debate of like does this count as rape in reality rape is not a black and white binary yes or no thing sure there are some kind of textbook cases of violent assault like we got in this scene right that those definitely happen but there's also 
many examples of rape that don't fit that mold. We don't see that as much in our media. And that is a problem as well, because then vulnerable people go home, you know, to these relationships. And because what they experience doesn't match up with what they've been told in our society counts as rape, they think, oh, I wasn't raped, mm -hmm. which is not actually true. And so that's another reason why I'm so upset with this scene is that it's just reinforcing an inaccurate stereotype of what counts as rape. Yeah, absolutely. And this is definitely one of the greatest flaws of this show is the fact that they missed the mark on that, that the education that they're trying to give us is incorrect. And the fact that everyone looks to this scene, like this is the scene that is the rape scene. This is the scene that I pretend doesn't happen. Well, what about all the other instances in Spike's character arc where he was abusing and having rape parallels, right? That no one ever yeah. calls out. So you're absolutely right when you say that. I think... There's one more point that I wanted to bring up about this, and it's the demon aspect, right? Spike doesn't have a soul. He's a demon. So I've seen a lot of people excuse his behavior because, well, he's a vampire, of course. Well, being a demon, being a vampire doesn't automatically make you a pervert, is what we were saying in season five. And it definitely doesn't automatically make you a rapist. So we've seen rape on this show in this very season we've seen human men with souls rape and it happens all the time so mm -hmm. to say that that is a demon instinct is absolutely incorrect it is a human instinct as well well and, and again like this is not spike inflicting violence on a random human that he is probably also going to bite or kill right like this is targeted, yeah. you know, as, as so many rapes are, right? Like, I don't have the, I'm not going to make up a, an inaccurate statistic, right? But my understanding is that, generally speaking, people are more likely to be assaulted by somebody they know versus some random attack on the street, right? Also, like, someone vulnerable. And can I just say how disgusted I am that Spike knew she was hurt at the very beginning of the scene? Because he asks okay. her if she was hurt. Yeah, so, so my point with this is just that attempted rape is not attributed to vampires, right? So this is just Spike. This is the man. Spike the man did this. It's unfortunate, right, the way the show is set up, that the, the question of Spike being a vampire, Spike not having a soul, it, it muddies the waters as we evaluate his actions in this scene. You know, that, that's the downside of having a, a fantasy show where you have non-human creatures and you start talking about things like agency and consent and, and responsibility and culpability, it's like, okay, well, how culpable is this soulless creature for his actions? We can go around and around on that merry-go-round as much as we like. We can, we can have as many hypothetical conversations. You know, you and I had conversations, conversations about this back in Angel on Trial uh, and Faith on Trial about culpability for killing things without souls and consent when it comes to like age gaps and stuff like at the end of the day, it's it's speculative fiction. It's not real. Vampires don't exist. So we can set that aside, right? We're not meant to read this scene as Spike is a soulless vampire uh, savaging somebody who happens to be Buffy. You know, that's not the point of the scene. The point of the scene is very clearly, as you just said, Spike the man is assaulting 
Buffy, his female lover. And the dynamics there are the dynamics of sex and gender and power between men and women. Spike being a vampire is completely irrelevant to what is happening in this scene. If Spike being a vampire was relevant, they would have made it a metaphor like they do with every other supernatural parallel in this show. Uh, Buffy has had bite sex with Angel. As a vampire, that is the parallel, right? Biting people. So if they wanted Spike to be the demon in the scene, they would have had him attempt to bite her and maybe turn her. And then that, uh, that would have been a violation that Buffy would have to then reconcile later on wouldn't that have been yeah. a much better storytelling than this that could have been a parallel but they didn't they yeah, did the, it literal the, the scene the scene is a lot more mundane yeah so bottom line we hate this scene i think it was irresponsible i don't think they should have done it this way but they did and we have to accept that and we can discuss it and we can critique it and we can get mad about it um and, and you know again my sympathies go out to people who ship spuffy because you know, it, it's a valid ship, whether or not I find value in it. Y'all who ships Buffy, you're allowed to do that. And, and I'm really sorry that the show decided to shit all over your ship like this. And it is, it's tragic. It's uncomfortable. There are, there are few times when I get upset at the media that I love. There are, there's lots of times when I get disappointed and I'm like, mm, that sucked. They could have done better. There are, there are a few times when I get so upset that I'm like, I, I can't even with you right now. This is one of those times. This is a low point. This was a mistake. I'll go as far as to say they shouldn't have done this. Here, here. All right. Um, anything else from you, Steph? No, that's, yeah, that, no, that's, okay. that's all. That was a lot. Um, thank you for discussing that scene with me, by the way. Kara, I would only ever discuss the scene with you. Same, same. We do have some hot stakes coming up about this at the end of the episode. Um, if you have thoughts about this scene and you'd like to send in hot stakes to us, you know, potentially for us to share in like the season six wrap up episode, please feel free. However, keep in mind, right, this is a heavily discussed scene in the fandom. Uh, there's a lot that's already been said. We probably don't want to revisit this scene in too much detail in the future. So I'm not trying to discourage people from sending in your hot stakes, but also just kind of like be very aware of the fact that we've probably seen a lot of the more common takes before. And, and you know, this is this is not something that I particularly feel like I want to talk in detail about going forward. Also, just just, you know, you guys can't see the the background work and the, you know me and me and car on camera with each other right now it's hard it's hard for us to talk about this kind of stuff we, we did the best we could i don't know what else there is to add but again please if you have something to say you you're more than welcome to share it but just keep in mind like we have to look out for ourselves too when it comes to rewatching yeah. scenes like this and rethink and thinking about them and analyzing them so we did talk for like i don't know what is this 45 minutes <laughs> about it like it's what, what else um, yeah yeah we'll see what happens when you put it down all right we all are right. done with discussing that scene let's go get a drink at the bar let's get a drink at the bar yes non-alcoholic for me please andrews is probably non-alcoholic it actually looks pretty delicious like a slushy <laughs> right so yes we're at the bar that the trio showed up to earlier um andrew has a drink jonathan is telling him what are we doing here 
Someone might recognize us. Warren is chatting up some girl, and Jonathan says, This is great. We're risking everything so Charles Atlas can get a date. Did you get that reference? No. Neither did I. <laughs> Someone uh, will so tell us. <laughs> Mike, Mike or somebody's going to write it and be like, This is who Charles Atlas is. <laughs> Shout <Thanks>. out, Mike. <laughs> um, he's going to get us thrown in jail or worse. Maybe you and I should. And Andrew says, Warren is the boss. He's Picard. You're Deanna Troy. Get used to the feeling. Betazoid. Did you get that reference, Steph? Of course I did not. <laughs> uh, that's that's Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, Captain Picard, of course, is in charge. Deanna Troy is the counselor. Um, Andrew is comparing Jonathan to a woman and basically saying, you have feelings. Because Deanna Troy was an empath, so she had a lot of feelings. And she, she was a somewhat maligned character for a lot of The Next Generation's run, even though she's actually pretty badass. Kara, you are this podcast's resident Trekkie. I'm here for the newlywed reality show information. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we mesh so well. I know. (laughs) So Warren is hitting on this girl. Uh, And as he does so, this girl's boyfriend, question mark, shows up and is basically like, the only one she's put it out for is me. Go get lost, shrimp. And Warren says, Frankie? Oh my God, how long has it been? It's Warren. Remember Warren? Gym class, fifth period, you and your jock buddies used to give me a hard time. That thing with the underwear. I thought I'd never stop crying, but hey, no hard feelings. I know you were just fooling around. Like, I'm going to be with your girl in about five minutes. So Frankie says, you're dead, and grabs him, but can't seem to move Warren. And Warren says, this ain't high school, and shoves Frankie across the bar. Uh, Two more guys try to take him on, but he punches them all back and he says, let's party. Uh, So he physically pulls open the cash registry, punches it and opens it up. And then he says to three of the girls at the bar, don't worry about the tab now, ladies. It's on daddy tonight. Uh, Don't worry, babies. Daddy going to give you some too, is what he says. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh my god. This, Say it this again. Is... Say it once more with feeling. Say it again. <laughs> Daddy gonna give you... No. <laughs> I can't... I'm sorry. No, I... No. Um, Daddy gonna give you some too. <laughs> again, you know, as much as we talked about the bathroom scene being difficult, I honest, I have a, I have a lot more thoughts about Warren in this episode than I do Spike because I, I think Spike's stuff is just so obviously awful and unforgivable that it, it, it's actually kind of like very easy for us to say that is bad let you know let's deal with this i hate warren in this episode like warren oh my god you notice you notice he also physically touches andrew when he walks by him like he like pats him on the arm or something we i think we've said before that andrew's possibly in love with warren i don't i don't think he's in love but i think he's like infatuated yeah there's an attraction there on a couple yeah but the fact that like warren like clearly has entertained it or um oh he's manipulating manipulated it yeah yeah which is like awful you know so xander comes in from the bathroom uh he's missed this whole thing because that's typical xander right timing uh and he says see i think it's the daddy thing that's throwing her because incest not that sexy so why don't we leave the ladies to their impending nausea and take the freak show outside and warren says let me ask you something first you think you could put in a word for me with that Anya chick? Because if she's taking it from a vamp, I think I might have a chance. And Xander punches Warren, which hurts his hand, which I think probably would have happened even if Warren 
wasn't invulnerable at the moment. Uh, and Warren says, no wonder she's screwing a dead guy. You hit like a girl. The, the amount of casual misogyny that Warren squeezes in in between his overt misogyny is something to be seen, Steph. It's like a skill set. <laughs> Sander says, at least I know how to get one. Uh, and then Warren punches Sander. And he also flies across the room. Again, he's dead. He's now died for like the 10th time this season. Oh <laughs> my God. He is really hurt from this. Like he's bleeding. He's hurt more than when the troll hit him with, with the hammer that literally almost murdered Glory. He's hurt more than that demon that threw him <sighs> around with the shelves a couple episodes ago. <laughs> like this hurt oh. him. <laughs> so Jonathan and Andrew tell Warren, it's time to go. It's your call, but we're going to miss this thing we want to do tonight if we don't go now. And Warren tells Xander, oh, it's your lucky night, chump. And Andrew says, you're just going to leave him there? What if he sticks the Slayer on us? And Warren says, bring her on. So something I want to point out here in this scene, again, I keep bringing up misogyny. I feel like I'm on a broken record here. Um, let's talk about patriarchy for a moment, Steph. There's obviously, you know, the chauvinism of Warren here in the way that he's treating the women in the scene. But notice how, like, Frankie has to, like, defend his honor and he's speaking for his girl. And then he and Warren fight over a girl. Um, and then when Warren is in his altercation with Xander, again, it's about Anya. It's about you punch like a girl. Um, and, and Xander has to stand up for himself and be a man. There's a lot happening in this scene. And, and the violence, the physicality of it is tied very much to a, a patriarchal idea that masculinity is all about physical prowess and ownership of women and defending your ownership of women and defending the honor of the women that you own. Mm -hmm. It's also about having big purple balls as Warren has. <laughs> oh, I appreciate how you just elevated that discourse right there, Steph. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Uh, I agree with you, though. <laughs> so that's how I support you. Xander goes to Buffy's home and he's like, I found Warren. And then he sees Spike's jacket, which he left behind and it's on the stairs. And what does Xander do? He takes the jacket and he barges into Buffy's bathroom. And he says, this is what you call not seeing Spike anymore. Ugh. Oh, so like I said earlier about barging into bathrooms, Xander, were you planning on just walking in on them having sex? Like, if they were, like, what what were you going to do? And again, fuck off and mind your own business, right? Like, the whole conversation yeah. earlier, I know he didn't learn anything from it, but it's about you keeping your fucking shit to yourself. You know, like, Buffy doesn't need your judgment. Why is Ender, like, I know he's there to say that he found Warren, but, like, you could have just called. I know. Like, why are you there? Go away. <laughs> Please leave. Well, Buffy is crying as she leans against the bathtub. And Xander sees her bruised leg and he's like, did he hurt you? And Buffy says he tried, he didn't. Excuse me, Xander? She has a bruise. Could have been from anything, Xander. No, it? but like, like, did he hurt you? Like, obviously she has a, well, she could have got it from slaying. But again, like, just dumb question, Xander, dumb question. I know. And Buffy um, says he tried, he didn't. And Xander says, son of a bitch. And he turns, like, like you're saying about <laughs> the patriarchy, right? Xander's like, he hurt my woman friend. So I'm going to go. I don't know what he was going to go do. Kill him, I guess. And Buffy says, don't, please, just don't. So Willow rushes in 
and says, hey, I think we found something. We found something. What happened? Everybody's coming into this bathroom. I don't know what the protocol is at the Summers residence, <laughs> but people are way too comfortable walking into somebody's bathroom. Right? So Buffy says, nothing. What did you find? Nothing? Nothing? Buffy doesn't want to talk about it. I mean, that's very believable to me, right? Okay. Like, you go through that kind of scene, you you don't want to talk to Willow about it. I hear you, and I, I'm trying not to jump too far ahead in general, but we don't we don't hear from Buffy about this, certainly not in this episode, but we're about to get a whole breakdown of what Spike's going through after this. Even, even if Buffy mm. doesn't want to talk about it, something more than just nothing happened yeah i think would have been fantastic point yeah valuable as the victim of this terrible terrible scene (sighs) so in the dining room in the dining room uh buffy has had a chance to get changed i don't think she ever got to have her bath and that makes me really sad too Mm -hmm. willow is saying they deciphered everything except one script which isn't written in any ancient language they could identify uh xander looks at it and quickly identifies it as klingon uh, which is an actual language, and he just says they're love poems, uh, which has nothing to do with the insidious scheme you're about to describe. So once again, reminding us that Xander is a nerd. And again, I think there are parallels between Xander and Warren in this episode. I think it's unfortunate that we're also connecting these misogynistic male characters to nerdery and nerdom. There, there is, you know, a misogyny problem in nerd culture, and that has become more obvious. And I think we talked in Joss Whedon on trial about how I think Joss Whedon actually has some culpability for that. But it, 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 it does make me sad. The show is kind of saying like, oh, you know, like only like nerdy, like beta males act this way because they can't actually get girls. Right. And it's like. The show is really riding hard on the idea that that these men feel really hard done by, which is a valid thing. But it just it, it's also like, well, you know, that's a stereotype about nerds. And I, I, I don't like that. I will say Buffy is a Trekkie. Sometimes they put Buffy's Star Trek quotes in there. Yeah. And they need to do more of it, is what I would say. <laughs> yeah, they could have had Buffy say it's Klingon. Right? Like. But it would have been so funny if all of a sudden Buffy was just like, it's Klingon. <laughs> Or if Dawn was there, right? Dawn's like reading the love poem. Or like Willow would probably be into that too, you know? Willow should know. Willow should have recognized it. Like, where's you're a nerd too, Willow. Yeah. Um, Willow probably wrote those poems to Tara. Like, she just slipped (laughs) them in there. Willow's like, how did these get in here? (laughs) So Willow shows the encoded blueprints and schematics um, to the banks. There's an armored car route. There's corporate vaults. It's big. She says that they're looking to score some serious De Niro. And then she says, we don't think they're planning just one job. And Buffy says, well, I can't cover all of these places at once. Willow says, you don't have to. We think there's one they may hit tonight. It's time sensitive. Very convenient. And Xander warns Buffy that Warren has gone Mighty Mouse, which is a a reference to uh, an early 2000s cartoon show that I quite enjoyed watching when I was a kid. Um, And Buffy says that I won't have to hold back. And I couldn't, I could not support this plan more. Buffy, go beat the shit out of Warren. It'll make everybody feel better. Agreed. Spike is returning to his crypt and we all have to suffer through him reliving his attempted rape of Buffy again. 
he keeps flashing back to Buffy screaming on the ground and him holding her down. Uh, he pours himself a drink and he keeps reliving it. So he crash, he crushes his glass in his hands. Clem comes to the door with chicken in a bucket. And he says, there's a Knight Rider marathon on TV. I've got hot wings. <coughs> and listen, I love Clem, right? I get that they're trying to bring some comic relief into this episode. But it just, this seems weird. It seems weird that Clem just shows up with chicken in a bucket and, and is being funny as Spike unpacks what just happened. You know, like it just seems off. So Spike says, what have I done? Why didn't I do it? What has she done to me? So that quote there, Kara, that why didn't I do it? God. <laughs> so so this, I get that the scene is... It's a bad scene. It's really bad. And people are like, oh, this is the nuance of Spike's character. But like, it's a bad scene of him being like, oh, how could I have done that? No, no, I should have done it. You well, know, like... Like you said, and I can't stop thinking about it now that you pointed it out. It's like, we, we get zero processing. I, I think the show is meant to tell us that Buffy's processing by going out and fighting Warren. And that's the, the point is, you know, Buffy is going through things and she can't talk to her friends. So she's going to fight it out. And Spike here, obviously, he's going to talk to his bestie, Clem. No, like, it's, it's messed up. It's messed up the amount of screen time that Spike gets to process what's happened versus the way the show has Buffy processing it. And it's, it's yeah, this this whole scene, you know, and Clem with the comic relief, it's just like, mm, like, I don't, I don't need it. We already are hearing enough from the men in this episode. Like, do we really need to see Spike battle with himself over feeling bad about what happened? Um, and, and as we said in that scene earlier, right, we don't like rape being used as a plot tool for, certain storylines i particularly don't like it for a spike storyline if that is where the show is heading with him debating whether or not he should have done it or not uh it appears it's what that's what it's doing carl god but um clem says slayer huh gotcha she break up with you again and spike says we were never together not really she's never she'd never lower herself that far and clem says she's a sweet girl spike but hey issues and and you notice that Spike like smirks when he says the issues like uh <laughs> get off my screen. So Clem goes on to say, no wonder with the whole coming back from the grave or whatnot. I had a cousin who got re resurrected by some kooky shaman. Oh boy, what a mess. So Spike says, why do I feel this way? Clem says, love's a funny thing. Spike says, is this what this is? I can feel it squirming in my head, the chip gnawing bits and chunks. And Clem says, maybe a wet cloth. <laughs> and Spike says, you know, everything used to be so clear. Slayer, vampire, vampire kills Slayer, sucks her dry, picks her teeth with, with her bones. It's always been that way. I've tasted the life of two Slayers. Layers. But with Buffy, it isn't supposed to be this way. It's the chip. Steel and wires and silicon. It won't let me be a monster. And I can't be a man. I'm nothing. Clem says, hey, come on now, Mr. Negative. You never know what's just around the corner. Things change. And Spike says, that they do if you make them. So again, just, just again, just to reiterate why this sucks. Here we have Spike brooding over his morality. And all we got was Buffy crying on the floor and then telling Xander it's nothing. And also Xander yelling at her. So, wow. Oh, my theme of this episode is shut up, Xander. Like, point blank. Mine is death to all men. So, at some point, so so now we're at some sort of carnival. Like, there's opening weekend at the Sunnydale theme park. Cops are loading money into a truck because it was the biggest day of the year. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the cops are gonna go get food after this they say i don't think they're cops i think they're like rent a cop they're like armored <laughs> car guards well they're wearing police officer hats so i assumed but it doesn't matter because warren lifts up the van turns it over and andrew is saying i can't wait to get my hands on those orbs and jonathan says yeah i'm sure he'll be giving them up any second That's now not- the orbs Andrew was talking about, Jonathan. <laughs> Duh. Uh, Warren rips the door off the truck and all the money falls out. And I have so many questions about that, oddly enough. It's like, okay, <laughs> what was the plan? Because none of them have like duffel bags. <laughs> How are they going to yeah. carry all those bags of money? Also, what kind of van is this? Like, did they just throw the money in the back and just like, there's no like cages or anything for well, them? <laughs> it's supposed to be an armored car, but yeah, the the... <laughs> You're right. This is this is a very messy, very public robbery. Also, like the, the police officers just disappear. They just, just disappear. Well, they're standing. One of them standing off in the distance as, as Buffy squares off against Warren. Because I noticed that. Because again, like this is a scene. Like people are seeing Buffy fight Warren. There's here. custodians in the background, like watching. Everything. Um. Anyway. Anyway, mm. Buffy is standing on top of the van like a fucking superhero, and she says, "Hey, is this your bank?" Because if it's not, there's going to be a fee for that. <laughs> oh, Buffy, I fucking love you so can we, much. Can we, re- sorry, can we talk for a moment about how our girl was just almost raped and she's still cracking some of the best one-liners I have ever heard from her. She fucking bounces back this one. Like, I, f- I adore this woman. So she jumps on him. He throws her over. Warren is saying, I was wondering when Super Bitch would show up. Muffy says, you really got a problem with strong women, don't you? And Warren says, nothing I can't handle. So they punch each other for a bit. Buffy falls down. Warren says, you seem off. Bad day. And Buffy says, it's getting better and keeps beating on him. And I will say, at some points, it is so obvious, a stub, obviously a stub double for Warren. It's a completely different person. Which is person. what we love about this show, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we love an obvious stud double in Buffy. I love When you spot them, you're like, oh, good for you. Buffy flippy doos right over Warren and hits him with, with the van door. And he slams into this like stone entryway to the theme park. And he's like, is that all you got? And then he's crushed by all the rocks. And Andrew's like, no. And Buffy tells Andrew and Jonathan that there are two ways this can end. Right now, I'm thinking they're both going to hurt. And Andrew says, I think you're right. Because Warren comes out of the rubble. No, he's not hurt at all. He says, what's the matter, baby? ever fight a real man before Ooh, so they continue <laughs> they continue fighting <laughs> andrew's shouting kill her kill her warren says you know who i am slayer and buffy says you're a murderer and warren says i'm the guy that beat you and it's not the muscles baby it's the brains and buffy says i'll remember that when i knock them clean out of your but that's when jonathan jumps on buffy's back and it's a hilarious close-up shot from like below so you you can see jonathan like obviously on sarah michelle geller's back but like the way they shot it is he's obviously not putting his weight on her uh it's great and he's saying orbs smashes orbs and buffy throws him off him uh warren throws her into a bench and goes up to her and says Good night, bitch. And as he pulls his arm back, Buffy sees the orbs in his pocket or attached to his belt, and she smashes them. The purple glowy light leaves Warren, and Buffy stands up and says, Good night, bitch. <laughs> My hero. So, yeah, I, I want to talk about this use of the, the liberal use of the word bitch from Warren in this episode, especially in this scene. We've talked on the show before about how so many of the villains, so many of the big bads in this show ha- are misogynistic, right? Like, 
The master was misogynistic. Angel had an element of that when he was Angelus. Spike, obviously. The mayor was misogynistic in his own, you know, charming way about it. Something I admire about this series is the fact that it doesn't shy away from how when you have a strong woman, when you have somebody kick-ass like Buffy who asserts herself and fights for what's right, the people in power are going to gender the way that they push back against that and, and, and you know, try to crush her. Um, so that's not lost on me, right? Like the, the misogyny against Buffy from the villains has always been present in this show. But I've been critical of its portrayal in this season because it hits really close to home. Because Warren and the trio were such mundane villains. They weren't superpowered. They weren't immortal like the mayor. Um, they were just men who hate women. And, and I, I get what the show is trying to do with that. I'm just not always on board with I, I don't always think they've pulled it off. This scene is interesting to me, and I'm curious to hear your take on it, Steph. Warren clearly thinks he's won, you know, and he says it's not about the physical strength, it's about the brains, but I don't know. It seems to be like it's about the fact that he can pummel the Slayer into the dirt. Mm. Warren clearly thinks he's won in this scene, and he he feels confident enough to call her a bitch over and over. And it's it's a very, like unoriginal insult you know like this is another thing about warren being a boring villain is he's he's very much representing the most boring kind of misogynist which is the the unoriginal uh kind of misogynist who hates on women almost out of habit and can't really come up with more clever ways to deal with that issue i'm not going to go so far as to say i think it's lazy writing on the part of the writers but like just the fact that he's in this scene constantly writing that word um, as if it's somehow bringing Buffy down. Yeah, like I'm, I'm really on the fence. I'm like, I see what the show's doing and, and I want to give the show kudos for it. But at the same time, I'm just like, maybe it's too on the nose. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's what you're saying. I think that they are trying their best to make Warren as misogynistic as possible in this moment. And it's, it's not coming through as authentic as I think they have in the past with his character when he's more subtle about it. Right. Uh, Buffy Roundhouse kicks him into the ground. Yay. She says, you're nothing but a sad little boy, Warren. It's time you grow up and pay for what you've done. And Warren says, get away from me. And he strips his jacket off and he's wearing a jetpack. And he says, I'm going to take you down, you piece of. And then he takes off into the sky. Andrew says, well played, Slayer. And he takes his jacket off too. And he has a jetpack on as well. And Jonathan says, why didn't I get one of those? And Andrew says, this rounds to you, but the game's far from over. And he shoots right up into the roof over his head and falls to the ground unconscious. <laughs> I laugh. Yeah. This was a legitimately funny gag. Yeah, that's Again, funny. In, in, in an episode that is so traumatizing i'm really enjoying these small gag moments and again like i said at the beginning of the episode this episode without all the trauma <laughs> when you get rid of like two or three scenes in here it's actually a pretty decent episode so then we cut to the police taking jonathan and andrew into custody uh they're at the police station jonathan is saying you jerks were setting me up to take the fall duh yeah yeah andrew's not even gonna address that he's just like he left me <laughs> he flew away and left me and he's crying he says how could he do this to me he promised me we'd be together but he was just using me he, he never really loved hanging out with us <laughs> yeah think he'll come back for us he wouldn't just take off would he so right like we talked about this before 
Andrew clearly is infatuated with Warren and there's a homoerotic subtext to this that the show is playing with but is too chicken to do more than with that I really think it's a shame what they do with Andrew's character in this season because they they never develop him like I was saying before you know in normal game like they never develop him the same way they did with Jonathan and Warren and now it's very clear he's he's aligned himself with Warren you know the fact that in the earlier scene as Warren is fighting Buffy, he's like, kill her, right? Like Warren has clearly radicalized him the way that Andrew Tate or Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson radicalize a lot of other men where it's like, you know, Warren's voice has has poisoned Andrew and been like, you know what the real problem in your life is? It's women. It's, it's, it's not me. It's not other men getting you down. It's women. Um, and Andrew's kind of heard that voice and, and drank that Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And again, like, I, I am of two minds, but I, I think this is something the show does really well, which is it's showing us how patriarchy is harmful to men, um, especially queer men, right? Because, like, you know, Andrew is clearly queer-coded and patriarchy, you know, puts men in these boxes where masculinity has to look a certain way and if you don't fit that mold, then often you feel pressured to compensate, to, to overcompensate for that. So I do appreciate that the show has gone there with Andrew's character. I wish that we that we were in an era, you know, the show made such strides. Like this episode is huge. And I'm, we're going to talk about that in a moment. This episode is huge in terms of how it portrays a lesbian relationship. Like there's so much kissing. There's so much PDA from Tara and Willow. And the the way that Dawn and and Buffy are so visibly happy for them that that filled my heart with joy that earlier scene, mm-hmm. um, I loved it. So it it you know it makes me sad that the show felt like it didn't have the same license to kind of explore um, Andrew as a gay character more. Yeah, cowards. <laughs> so then we cut to Spike. He's on a motorcycle. Um, I was thinking maybe it's the same motorcycle that he stole back at the end of season or the yeah, start of season six. Yeah, probably. It's a bold mm-hmm. choice. Clearly, he has to get to wherever he's going before the sun comes up. So, what time is it? <laughs> the eternal question. It's tattooed on my arm. He's looking over the town of Sunnydale and he says, "Get nice and comfy, Slayer. I'll be back, and when I do, things are gonna change." And he takes off on the motorcycle because he's suddenly cool again. Good fucking bye well so this this is supposed to mirror him coming to sunnydale at the beginning of his story right as he arrives in sunnydale knocks over the sign because he's a bad boy he re-arrives in sunnydale and does it a second time right and now he's leaving sunnydale um and it's always dramatic with spike you can't just leave (laughs) you forgot the third time the third time when he came back and then he immediately got electrocuted and taken by the initiative (laughs) yes i love that that was my favorite time sorry (laughs) now it's morning it is now the next day we can definitively say staff but what time (laughs) 8 a.m 9 a.m 9 a.m okay uh willow and tara are in clothes for once steph says in her notes in Joyce's room. And Tara says, Xander is here. Um, and she's looking out the window and we can see Xander approaching Buffy. And Willow says, do you think they're making up? And Tara says, I hope so. 
And then she kind of gives a little of a sly look and she says, that's the best part. You, Tara, I don't want to think about Xander and Buffy making up the way that you and Willow made up. Please don't put those thoughts in my head. Thanks a lot. Okay, but what a cute little tiny scene. Um, I know, I know. know. So Buffy is poking around the garden with a stick and Xander comes up behind her and says, time for the spring poking already. (laughs) And I don't fuck you xander but like that was a, I, I laughed buffy looks very subdued here right she's wearing her chill ponytail limited makeup sweatpants and jeans she says she's making sure there's no more cameras jonathan and andrew got clinked but warren pulled a rocket man xander says you'll find him he won't be much good without his friends and buffy says no he won't so they sit together on the bench and xander says how did we get here and buffy says scenic route long drive Xander says, the past few weeks, I thought I hit bottom, but it hurt that you didn't trust me enough to tell me about Spike. It hurt. Buffy says, I'm sorry. I should have told you. And you see all of the exclamation, like my brain sees. Listeners, it looks like a cat walked across (laughs) Steph's keyboard and and Steph does not have a cat. Um, Steph lost her shit in these notes. (laughs) What? the hell are you saying sorry for Buffy again again we have Buffy Summers apologizing to this man who has never once apologized because women have to make men feel comfortable women have to keep the peace and we have to apologize to men because they're the ones who are wrong so we have to be sorry earlier I said I don't coddle rapists. Now I'm going to say I don't coddle men children. Yes. I don't coddle self-righteous assholes like Xander, Warren, Andrew, and Jonathan. Again, that's why I'm seeing the parallels between Xander and Warren here. And I'm not trying to say they're the same. Xander's not violent like that. But he too has been shaped by patriarchy in a way that causes his masculinity to be so toxic and, and him not knowing better is not an excuse, especially because he's had all of these years of hanging out around badass women. And he has grown in many ways. He's better than he was in seasons one and two. But there's also a part of me that's just so disappointed in you, Xander. You had so much time to like reflect and grow as a man. Years. Uh, and, and, and yes, and, and challenge you know, those aspects of your masculinity that maybe you should question and improve. And he demonstrates so little self-awareness. And then he goes and he makes Buffy feel like she has to apologize to him. Buffy has been through so much of this episode. I can't. <laughs> but I can't, not, Okay, and like by the end of this scene, Buffy will have gone through another thing. And it's just too yeah, much. That's, that's it's too just too point. fucking much. And can I just say, like, Buffy, what, what, you're, I'm sorry, Xander, that I didn't tell you about something that you would obviously get pissed at me for and judge me for and make me feel like shit about. So sorry. Ugh. Xander says, maybe you would have, you would have if I hadn't given you so many reasons to think I'd be an asshole about it. Whoa. So that is very close. It's, ooh, it's, ooh, it's so close to him saying, I'm sorry, too. It's a too. moment of self-awareness from Xander Harris. <laughs> but still, no, I am also sorry. I recognize the wrong I did. Buffy says, guess we've all done a lot of things we're not proud of. Xander says, I think I've got you beat. Buffy says, you want to compare. Xander says, not so much. I don't know what I'd do without you and Will. Buffy says, let's not find out. And they hug. Buffy says, I love you. You know that, right? Okay. I do have to say, Xander's stubbornness aside, I do like this scene. 
I like that Xander and Buffy made up are close enough. Not just that they made up. They're, they're close enough. They're practically family, right? They have been through a lot these past years. And, and it's, it's really special to me, right? Because something that I've struggled with in, in my adult friendships is the idea that I am going to screw up. You know, there is no way for me, as much as it pains me to admit it, because I'm a perfectionist, there's no way for me to go through my life and, and never screw up and never hurt one of my friends, you know, even unintentionally. So I really enjoy when we see good portrayals, healthy portrayals in our media of two very close friends or family um, who have been at odds talk about it. You know, Xander knows that as much as Buffy is upset with him, he can come to her house, he can come to her backyard, and he can be like, you know, sitting down on the bench and being like, we're going to talk about this and have that conversation. And it might be uncomfortable, you know, it, it might be a difficult conversation, but but he knows that they're going to be okay, right? Like this is something that they can come back from and they're going to be okay. And that's very comforting to me. And it's a, it's a nice reminder that in these mature friendships that you have as an adult, if your friendship is strong enough and if you're willing to do that work, you can move past a lot, right? And and that doesn't that's not to excuse or defend anything that Xander has done here, but it, it's a reminder, right, that we are flawed and we are gonna make mistakes. But when when we love people the way that Buffy and Xander love each other, you know, platonically, healthily, um you are able to process and move forward together when you've made mistakes yeah no um i totally agree with you it, it that goes back to my story earlier about how buffy and xander having this conflict is quite realistic because it, your friendships do go through these sometimes and it really is up to each individual to decide how important that person is that you want to work through it so i agree with you i like that xander came here to make things right between him and buffy I'm upset that he didn't also say sorry and that Buffy had to say sorry at all. But like that aside, this is an, a nice scene, a nice hug at the end of any scene. is well, always nice. And I just, I, again, I just, I want to add, you know, I, I, we criticize Xander a lot. We slander Xander a lot. It's all deserved. However, it is very nice to see a portrayal of a strong friendship between a straight man and a straight woman on TV and yes, Xander had issues with unrequited attraction to Buffy earlier, but you know, setting that aside, they are friends, they are they are family at this point, and and I like to see that Buffy has a close male friend, and and that is very meaningful as well. Yeah, and my initial thought was also that oh, this is a nice scene, but then I was like, oh, but all my anger towards Xander, and then I couldn't help but ask, is Xander only doing this? Is he only here to make things right? Because he feels bad about what happened to Buffy the night before, because he's the only person who knows, to whatever limited degree he knows, about what happened to Buffy. No, so I, I'm willing to be charitable with Xander okay. here. I think he's been, th he's been through a lot the past few weeks, right? And I think he recognizes that the last thing he needs is also to have this awkwardness between him and Buffy. I I'm willing to stipulate that Xander Harris is evolved enough to have the self-awareness that he needs to go and, and make up with Buffy. So I hear what you're saying. Like, it, it's a worthwhile thought for yeah. us to think about. But 
I, I, I am willing to be charitable here. I, I've slandered Xander plenty in this episode. I'll give him this one. Uh, if, if Buffy wants to give him a pass, then I suppose we can as well. So Xander sees Warren walk up the backyard uh, and says, Buffy. So they stand up. Warren says, you think you could just do that to me? You think I'd let you get away with that? Think again. He pulls out a gun and he starts shooting wildly because he starts running away as he shoots. He shoots, I counted, five shots. Buffy pushes Xander to the ground. This is important. Uh, Buffy pushes Xander to the ground before Warren has even shot his gun. It's instinctive, right? Like the first thing she does when she sees that Warren is there and has a gun is she gets Xander out of harm's way. Buffy is such a fucking hero. I just want to say that. I just want to say just two words. Buffy Summers. We stand. We stand. Four words. <laughs> so, oh God. In Joyce's room. A bullet flies through the window. We see Willow, who's wearing a nice white top, get sprayed with blood. We see Tara, whose back is to the window, with a bloody hole through her heart. She says, your shirt, and then falls to the ground. Xander sees Buffy lying on the ground outside. Willow goes to Tara, who looks pretty dead on the floor, puts her head in her lap, and she's crying, Tara, baby, get up, Tara. And... Buffy is bleeding from her chest as well. Her eyes are still awake. Like she are still open. They're still alert. She's staring up and Tara's She's eyes. In shock. Yeah. And Tara's eyes are closed. So Willow is shouting, no, no, no. She's gasping with her sobs. And then she looks up and her eyes turn a blurry light red. And then we fade to black. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So we need to talk about that. <laughs> no my see this episode Kara. this episode on top of everything we've already talked about now we have to talk about tara dying yep yep so we need to talk about the fridging of tara mcclay are you familiar with the trope bury your gaze oh yes oh yes i think we've talked about it before on here too yeah we probably have this is also unforgivable to me what the show has done here right is First, they amp up the happiness because they know this is coming and they want to twist the knife. Um, and then they kill Tara. And I know that some of the writers have since, you know, said, oh, that was a mistake. We regret doing that. Fuck off. Like, you did it. You did it. Like, you you built one of the most overt and wholesome queer relationships on TV at that time. And of all the characters in this show, and Joss Whedon has said he added Tara to the main, he added Amber Benson to the main credits in this episode just so that he could say he killed off a main cast member in the season. Fuck off, Joss Whedon. As a queer person who seldom sees herself represented on TV, uh, and when I do, it's usually not great representation. And I say that both as a trans woman uh, and as an aromantic and asexual woman. Queer representation is so important. And I'm saying this, and I, I know that a lot of our listeners understand this already, and I'm not talking to you. I hope you hear yourself in this, but I, I'm saying it, you know, just in case somebody listening doesn't quite understand. And I'll, just to put it on the record, because it's my Buffy podcast, queer representation is so, so important on TV. And that doesn't mean that every single queer relationship has to end you know, happily ever after. But 
writers and producers have a responsibility to understand the impact of the portrayal of their queer relationships on screen, and especially back then, because of the dearth of such happy relationships. For them to fridge, you know, one of the two openly gay characters on the show, I am so angry. I am just as angry at the show for that as I am for the bathroom scene. Because, you know, not only is it misogynistic in the sense that like, oh, here you go, killing a woman on the show. You can't kill Buffy, obviously, because you did that before twice. So you're going to kill Tara. But also like Willow can't be happy. You just added Amber Benson to the main credits. We can't have a happy relationship on this show. This was a bad call. This was a bad call and I hate it. And, and it is, again, it is one of the few things about this series that makes me go from, well, let's critique this out of love to, wow, like I, I cannot with this. It goes along with what I was saying about Buffy getting almost raped in this episode too. Um, what is the purpose? Is, are they going to use this to spark a great storyline that makes it worth it. I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. But for all the reasons you just listed, it just doesn't feel like it's ever going to be worth it to us, not to Tara. I, I can say that for sure. Yeah. Like even, even without, even it. if I were to pretend right now that I don't know what's coming, mm -hmm. there is nothing like that could make this worth it. Yeah. Um, fridging Tara as a plot device to uh, add gravity to the end of the season and clearly something's going to happen with willow we'll find out there are other ways you could have done that i i cannot even entertain the possibility that this is justified it's it, it's not justified you know i i'm getting emotional just as we were earlier uh with the other scene because again like i just especially in this rewatch i love tara so much yeah. as a character like setting aside tara and willow just Tara herself. I've identified with her so much in this in this watch through. The way she gets killed off, you know, it's not even like a noble sacrifice. Like I could see it being different if Tara sacrifices herself for Willow, you know, it'd still suck. But like, okay, like she's a hero. They, they kill her off. It's an in, like he wasn't even aiming at her. Um, also, side note. Adam Bush and Amber Benson were dating at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. So Joss Whedon was like, "You're gonna kill your girlfriend," and and War and and Adam was like, "Oh, Warren's getting a girlfriend," and Joss Whedon was like, "No, you're killing your actual girlfriend." And like again, fuck you, Joss Whedon. Honestly, like after watching this episode and after all our discussions, I was gonna say like fuck this episode, but honestly, fuck this season. I totally understand why people think this season is good and i've heard the reasons and i've even said like why like i get it sometimes you know like showing the dark side of life you know i can't even come up with the reasons right now because i just don't care yeah because in one episode we get the rape of our hero sorry we get the attempted rape of our hero then she gets shot and somewhere in the middle there she had to apologize to xander for actions that had yeah. nothing to do with him. And then we also get another murder of a woman. Like we, we, we can talk more about this in the season wrap up. Yeah. But yeah, like I was hoping going into this season that I could help you find joy in season six. 
and I find myself liking the season less. And I think that's been a trend. I've liked it less and less on each rewatch. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. This is a challenging episode. I appreciate all you listeners who have stuck with us. I have no idea how long the episode is at this point. Uh, Steph is going to do her best to edit it in a way that makes us sound vaguely coherent. But I, I'm aware that there's been a lot of ranting from both of us in this episode. I hope I hope that's been okay for all of you listening. Yeah, this, this is a tough episode. If ever there was an episode for us to rant, it's this one. Sure. Like I said at the start, I think there are things about this episode that are well done and, and good. And, and, you know, there is a core to this episode that is a worthwhile story to be told. But I very strongly disagree with a lot of the choices about how to tell that story, how to move the story forward, you know, and what to depict on screen and how the show chooses to engage with the motifs of misogyny and violence against women um, and the ways that's manifesting on screen. One thing I'm hoping will reveal itself, (laughs) we've got three episodes left of the season and yeah, I'm not seeing the joy in the show, but more importantly, I've lost the feminist part of it, like the, the women empowerment of it. It's completely lost it's, on it's me. It's a fine, yeah. So where yeah, is it? It's a fine line. And I agree with you. I think the show has lost its way. So if, if it can find it in three episodes before the end, like I'm holding my breath, I guess. But um, the, this episode, just it just did it in for me. I was like, no, this season is not it. Sorry. I think if there's any silver lining to this episode it is that you and i have been very able to point out how much buffy summers rules because i know that we have been down on buffy we've been critical of her especially you know with her choices about spike there is no doubt in my mind watching this episode how much of a hero buffy is Um, And in the past, people have accused us of not liking Buffy, (laughs) Um, the the character. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) We are only here because of Buffy. Like, the reason why we're still watching this show is Buffy Summers. And I I mean, again, like, I really liked Dawn in this episode. I really liked Willow in this episode. There's a lot to like about this episode. Anya's one little scene was, was cute, you know, aside from the awful fat phobia um, you know, it was cute to see Anya in that situation. But Sarah Michelle Geller steals this episode. Um, Buffy in this episode is quintessential Buffy. So I, I, I will give the episode that, that this is the episode that has grounded us after such a tumultuous season of Buffy being depressed and nihilistic. This is the most Buffy that Buffy has been in a long time. And I am here for that. Yeah. And I'll add on to that, that my hero of the episode is, of course, Tara and Buffy. Absolutely. Both of these women deserved better than what they got in this episode. Here, here. Hot stakes time. <laughs> Woo! Oh my god, yep. <laughs> First hot stake is from Magnus, who wants to talk about Tara's death. He says, as a teenager, I watched this episode. And it felt like a gut punch. As a gay, closeted teen, I was so angry that they had killed off such a positive role model, such as Tara. 
and followed the all-too-typical-at-the-time-kill-your-gaze trope. I felt like that feeling of acceptance that the show had shown me had been stolen away, and I found it really hard to continue watching the series after that. I think her death immediately after, you know, giving into Willow despite knowing that she should wait longer to get back together, is made even more of a gut punch when you think that perhaps if she had become willing to compromise this, what else would she compromise? Would she allow Willow to get back on that dangerous road with magic? It might be overly dramatic, but given what Willow is going to go on to do, you know, did Tara need to die in that moment? So again, we can't, we're not going to talk about what's coming up, but I wanted to include, you know, this hot stake from Magnus. It obviously echoes a lot of what we've already said. You know, shows have a responsibility to their listeners when we, we look at representation uh, and, and how our listeners are going to feel. And, and I'm not saying that you can't ever have bad stuff happen to queer characters, but you, you always have to do so with an awareness of what is that going to do in terms of your, your viewership and your audience uh, feeling safe and accepted by your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Magnus. Our next hot stick is from Kitty, who writes in about Spuffy and seeing red. She says, I love the dark kinkiness of Sp- Buffy and Spike's dynamic in the beginning. I hate, though, as a BDSM-involved woman, that absolute lack of responsibility these two take in not establishing strict boundaries as to as to have prevented this horrible scene from taking place. Long story short, consensual non-consent is a valid kink, but not establishing boundaries and safe words, leaving the door open for abuse and confusion, which is not okay. So you and I didn't talk about kink in this episode um in terms of that scene i don't think it was on our agenda too i had said earlier that um i don't buy that spike didn't know that buffy was saying no to him right that that was my stance but right but i i think the point here right is part of the attraction my understanding of the spuffy relationship is that violence and the kink of consensual non-consent is hot for some people and so they they can see that aspect of buffy and spike sexual relationship and be like okay i can see how that would be an appealing kind of fantasy to to live out um so i i I appreciate the point that kitty's trying to make here um kind of sharing a little bit about bdsm as a subculture which is you know what we're seeing in buffy and spike's relationship in this season uh is, is not a great portrayal of that kink because it's it's not healthy in the way that a good BDSM relationship is where people have had these conversations, you know, again, because of all these fine lines. So, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, Steph. Like Spike is still culpable one way or the other. Um, but the I think the point that Kitty's trying to make here, right, is th- the relationship that we're seeing on the screen here for this whole season is not healthy precisely because unlike actual BDSM relationships, there's never a discussion of consent and there's never a discussion of boundaries. Uh, and that's an issue. Is this show ever going to be responsible <laughs> with its depiction of this Great relationship? Question. Like there's nothing about Spuffy that's responsible. Our final hot stake is from one of our chosen ones, Reese. Hey, Reese, homeless opossum in the Discord. Hi, Reese. And he says... I'm a firm believer in equivalent exchange and that we never get anything for free. 
So I was thinking that what if Terra's death wasn't just a tragic accident, but in fact meant to happen? Go on. <laughs> Willow knew she would be tested in her attempt to bring Buffy back from the dead, but what if the cuts and the snake were only the beginning? She never finished the spell, and yet Buffy still came back. I believe that throughout season six, Willow's struggle with magic and the breakup were also part of the test. And when things were finally looking up for her, Tara was killed right in front of her. Back to the idea of equivalent exchange. I don't think the demon in Afterlife was enough of a price for bringing Buffy back. I feel like Tara was always going to be the price that had to be paid. She's someone Willow loves and a powerful witch too. Tara's life was the exchange that had to be made to bring Buffy back from the very beginning. Sometimes payments are collected later down the road. Ooh. I mean, yeah, could be. I, I really like this hot stake yeah. just in the sense that, you know, it's not trying to justify Tara's death, but it is bringing up an interesting idea. Um, and, yeah, you know, I don't know if the show is going to address that in, in a future episode, but... You know, it is nice to think about the metaphysical consequences of Willow messing with such powerful magics with a K. Ooh. And I would say what uh, Reese is saying about the demon in Afterlife not being good enough. Like, I agree with that. It's like that this was the price. <laughs> this like wispy little bathtub ghost. Um, thanks, everybody, for your hot steaks. And thank you, everybody, for sticking with us for this episode. Uh, this might end up being the longest episode of Prophecy Girls of all time, as it should be, because we had to get into it. This was our time to do it. We took the time. And I want to thank you, Cara, for, for making space for this discussion with me. Um, this was a hard one. This this took a lot out of us. And I, I again, could not be more <laughs> privileged to have done it with you. And thank you to all of our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones, Emma, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha, Ricky, Amy, and Rochelle. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Louise, Joshua, Reese, Susanna, and Jasmine. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week